Uh, housing is important because it is a significant part of household budgets and it's an area where government has made things worse. And uh, I, I see expensive housing, just like expensive college education and expensive health care, as uh, problems created by government that have created more demand in the population for socialism. Right? Americans don't like socialism in general in the abstract, but there is a lot of demand for government to fix, quote unquote, uh, these markets, education, healthcare, and housing, because uh, especially young people are finding it hard to afford a good place to live. That is Jason Sorens. I'm Dwayne Lester, and this is Top Priority. Welcome to Top Priority, a production of the Americans for Prosperity Foundation's Grassroots Leadership Academy. I'm Dwayne Lester. Today's top priority is economic opportunity. Specifically, we're going to be talking about housing regulations. Our guest today is Jason Sorens. He's the director for the Center of Ethics in Society at St. Anselm College. And the conversation that follows, you might hear us use terms like community and vision, and you can hear us talk about mutually reinforcing principles. And before we get into the interview, let's talk about what those mean. Americans for Prosperity Foundation and the Grassroots Leadership Academy are part of the Stand Together community. A link to the Stand Together website is included in the show notes. In each episode, we focus heavily on how our vision guides our decisions in the different specific areas focus we are trying to impact, and we call these priority initiatives. Sometimes we abbreviate them as PI or PIs, and our, our vision is really ambitious. We break barriers that stand in the way of people realizing their potential. This moves our society towards one of mutual benefit, where people succeed by helping others improve their lives. This vision is built on four mutually reinforcing principles, which we'll discuss. The principles are equal rights, mutual benefit, openness, and self-actualization. You can find the vision and the four mutually reinforcing principles also in the show notes. Now, let's talk with Jason about the impact housing regulations are having on our lives and why this issue is so important to him. Earlier this week, I was teaching a class and I asked if you could only work on one issue for the rest of the year, what issue would you work on? And you said housing. So let's, uh, I want to dig into that. But first, can you tell me a little bit about yourself? Sure. My name is Jason Sorens. I'm the director of the Center for Ethics and Society at St. Anselm College. Uh, And I teach political philosophy courses, but I also do research and administration. Um, And so we do a number of programs for students on campus and uh, also for um, the general community. And we, uh, we try to educate people about how ethics relates to their daily lives and to public policy. And so when you, when you think about housing, why is that such an important issue to you? Uh, housing is important because it is a significant part of household budgets. And it's an area where government has made things worse. And uh, I, I see expensive housing, just like expensive college education and expensive health care, as uh, problems created by government that have created more demand in the population for socialism, 
right? Americans don't like socialism in general in the abstract, but there is a lot of demand for government to fix, quote unquote, um, these markets, education, healthcare, and housing, because uh, especially young people are finding it hard to afford a good place to live. And, uh, you know, the, what we need to realize is that um, government can't fix problems it's created. And we need to deal with the, the source of the problem, which is, in this case, restrictive uh, land use regulations like zoning that have made it too costly to build new houses. And um, that has constrained the supply of houses. And as demand grows, the price goes up. And that's particularly true in places where there are lots of jobs or lots of amenities where people want to live. Um, a lot of those places are just too expensive these days. Help me understand how zoning has, has contributed to the increase in the, in the cost. Because I, I'll have these conversations with folks in, in my town, very small town, but they may, be, they may be getting upset because their neighbor has brought their, their 18-wheeler home and they've parked it in the street, or, or they're operating some sort of business out of their garage. And this is not a business district. This is a, a residential district, and these things should be in there, and you, you're lowering the, you know, the value of my, my property there's a lot of arguments that go into that. So help me understand how zoning has actually contributed to the increased cost of housing. Yeah. So old school zoning, we can have a debate about whether this was was justifiable or not, but old school zoning was less bad. I mean, the, the idea on, on, on old school zoning was you separate residential from industrial uses so that you don't get the pig farm next door. Uh, you don't get factory fumes moving in. Um, maybe you can regulate some things like the 18-wheeler. Uh, just by um, saying that you can't do certain commercial activities in a residential zone. Uh, but what has happened is that zoning is now much less about regulating commercial and industrial activities, and it's really about preventing people from building houses. And the way uh, towns, cities, counties, and sometimes even states have done this um, is manifold, but uh, some examples include um, basically making it illegal to build anything unless you get permission to do so. So everything that's not um, permitted is banned and uh, not explicitly permitted is banned, right? So that's, a, that's a, a, an approach that sort of inverts our American tradition of freedom where you're supposed to be permitted to do anything unless it's explicitly banned. But zoning regulations don't work that way. They, um, they'll specify minimum lot sizes, maximum heights, floor area ratios, setbacks, minimum parking requirements. Um, you know, often they'll, um, they'll even regulate things like the pitch of the roof or the, the way the facade of the house looks. And, uh, and those things all drive up the cost of housing. In, you know, in my state and in, in many states around the country, um, in a lot of the, the bigger suburbs or cities where people want to live, um, it's almost impossible for uh, for you to build something that, that fits within those regulations. So then what you have to do is you have to apply for a variance or a special exception. And at that stage, you have public hearings. Uh, the, the, your neighbor, the neighbors to this property will come out and, and protest. It can, you can be tied up for years with environmental reviews, architectural reviews, lawyers' fees. Um, it, all of that, that delay and those expenses add to the cost of housing. And so that's made it um, really difficult to build. You don't get enough building. Um, you know, places like San Francisco are building far less now than they did 30 or 40 years ago. 
even though that's supposedly the tech capital of the world. You know, there are a lot of tech workers who can move there um, and, and make that, that area really productive and, and generate a lot of prosperity. They're not allowed to do that because of these restrictions. Uh, and that drives up the cost of, of housing, whether you're talking about rents or you're talking about sale prices of houses. Those have all gone up um, across the country, but especially in these places um, that have stricter zoning regulations. It reminds me of a funny story from back in my home state. There was a, a family friend of ours that was wanting to build a house. And so they went to the, the county and they said, okay, what are the regulations we'd like to build our house in Green Township? And they looked at them and said, nobody ever builds a house in Green Township. And they said, well, this is where, this is where our land is. This is where we want to build. And they looked through the books and they said, we don't have any. There's, no, <laughs> there's nothing for Green Township. And they could do what they wanted, and they could build a house. There. So I, I'm listening to this. I'm like, there's such stark differences between the rural communities right. and, and San Francisco. And it reminds me of, one, how lucky we are in the rural communities not to have that, that meddling. And it, it reminds me also of, of a video I just saw. Uh, full, ex, you know, full disclosure, it was on TikTok. Yes, uh, I sure. do watch TikTok. Uh, it's become an addiction. But I was going to create a, a reply to this video, and it's fortuitous that you're talking about this because the video was this guy saying back in the 50s or, or 60s i think it was 50s you could buy a house on minimum wage right you could and, and he went through and did all the math and and he was like he looked at the camera and he's all very serious he says what's wrong with that and why can't we get back to it and i thought you're thinking of one side of this you're thinking we need to raise the minimum wage so we can buy a, a, a house today at this price you're completely ignoring all the things that go into the yeah. cost of that house. Well, this is what I'm talking about, how government meddling in the housing market has created this demand for socialism. Now we need minimum wages, we need uh, guaranteed income, we need you know redistribution of wealth. Um, the demand for this is coming from, and some people are even saying public housing, the government needs to own housing. I mean, didn't we discover from the, the public housing of the 60s that this doesn't work, it just creates you know crime-riddled hellholes. Uh, but this, this demand is happening, especially from, from young people in, in bigger cities, because they, they see the problem. They just don't understand that government created that problem. Um, and when you look at places like a lot of the cities in Texas that do not have strict land use regulations, housing is affordable. Housing is affordable in Houston. You can get a, an apartment for $500 a month, a nice brand new apartment um, uh, that's you know, close, to, close to work uh, in the city. Uh, and, you know, you could not get that um, in, in Denver. In, <laughs> yeah, in Denver. You couldn't get it in, in Manchester, New Hampshire, uh, much as I'd, I'd like to say otherwise. So so people are moving there, right? Millions of people are moving to Texas because the housing costs are affordable. And uh, and, and that makes it more affordable for, for businesses, too. They're better able to hire workers. They can recruit easily from out of state. And so um, those economies are booming. The economies are really strangling development are the ones that uh, that are getting too costly and are not, not growing as fast. And, you know, I understand uh, people being worried about out-of-control growth or whatever, but a lot of these places um, are, are not not only not experiencing out-of-control growth, they're not experiencing growth at all. Um, so parts of California, coastal California, uh, Massachusetts, uh, parts of New York City, um, they're on they're on the decline or they're static, you know, because and they're getting older because families with kids can't move there. Young couples can't move there. Single professionals can't move there. Uh, and so it's, you know, it's older people. And, and that's going to be a burden on social services. That's going to be 
um, a burden on these states in the future. They're not going to have that workforce that, to generate economic growth. How big of an impact is, is rent control on something like this? Is, is this something you factor into it? Are there a lot of places with rent control still, and is this contributing to the problem? There are a few places with rent control. So um, New Jersey, California, New York, they have rent control. Maryland has rent control in the, in the classic sense. Uh, Oregon has this rent stabilization, so they don't, they don't, um, they just started this statewide uh, where they allow um, increases of up to 10% a year in rent. So it's a little bit less extreme than what you have in places like New York City. I mean, economists have found that these rent control um, uh uh, policies are, are devastating to the housing stock. So it's actually worsens the problem because if you're a, a landlord, you own property and then they rent control it, you can't earn the rent that that property is worth. You're going to put less investment in it, right? There's no reason for you to keep improving that property, competing to, to get tenants. You don't want tenants. Right? <laughs> It'd be good for you if they moved away and maybe you could demolish the building and build a commercial high rise instead. So you get deterioration of property, reductions in the housing supply. That actually just makes things more unaffordable for anyone who's looking for um, a non-rent control apartment. Because even in New York, which has a strict rent control law, if you build new apartments, those aren't subject to the law. This is the way they try to kind of get around some of the adverse consequences to it. So you get some part of the market that's not rent controlled, but that's really, really expensive. Um, and and so you, you've really distorted that market. It's unfair. You get people who are you know paying well below market rates because they happen to know somebody and got in on a rent-controlled apartment, and other people are paying two to three to four times as much for their apartments because they didn't have those political connections. So that's unjust as well. Um, and we need to think about when it comes to these zoning regulations and rent controls about the rights of property owners too. If you buy a piece of property and you expect to be able to make productive use of that property, um, you know you should be deprived of that value without your consent or at least compensation. But that's the way it works in most of the country. You can regulate someone's property to the point that it has no economic value and you don't have to compensate that property owner. And that seems unjust to me. Well, when we think about our vision here with the Stand Together community, it really rests on the idea of respecting equal rights and creating a society of mutual benefit. And what you're describing violates equal rights to the point where you can't have mutual benefit because you have, you have someone that's dictating to the owner what they must do and, and, yeah. It isn't to their benefit. It creates a society uh, where political poll rules, right? Where it's the, the people who um, can persuade a planning board or a zoning board to kill a project. And these are typically, the research shows these are actually typically older, male, wealthy homeowners and white uh, as well. Uh, there's, a, there's a book on this uh, by some uh, Brown University uh, political scientists called Neighborhood Defenders that, that goes into these data and finds that this is the case, that people who want to kill housing and who often succeed at it, these are privileged people in these communities who have access to the levers of power in the local government who are able to stop a uh, new, new building where they live. Because, you know, if you can basically increase the amount of land you can control without buying it, all you have to do is lobby your planning board and say, no, I want I want that to be a forest that I can treat as my backyard, um, you know, then uh, then that's a, a great deal, I guess. And and so it, it really creates this unlevel, uh, you know, tilted playing field where working class people, young people, um, people of color who are trying to uh, move into a community who are doing productive work, working, you know, often these are essential workers. These are your 
barbers and hairdressers and delivery drivers and uh, nurses and people like that who um, you know maybe earn less than the median wage, but they're they're working hard and trying to provide for their families. You're keeping them out to privilege the homeowners who are already there, um, often on you know big houses, big lots, and they want to keep their neighborhood exactly the way it is. That just doesn't seem uh, just. You're describing issues that are different in New York. They're different in Manchester to Houston to Green Township in northwest Missouri. This is clearly not a federal issue. Is this more of a city issue or a state issue? It's more of a city issue. And so you can change this if you get involved in local elections. And part of the problem is that so few people do vote in local elections that it tends to be controlled by insiders who know what they're doing. Uh, but state governments can play a constructive role. And here in New Hampshire, we've started to see that where state governments are saying, okay, local governments, here's some things you can't do. You can't ban people from building an in-law apartment um, in or on their house. Uh, you've got to allow that. So now every town has to allow that. If you want to, um, to build you know, a 600-square-foot place with a, a little kitchenette and some bedrooms, you know, a couple of bedrooms, you're allowed to do that in uh, across the state, and previously a lot of towns had banned that. Um, you can also do things like um, uh, in, in in Oregon, they they've taken the step of um, trying to ban single-family zoning statewide, so that wherever you have a residential zone that says only single-family detached homes may be built, you also have to allow duplexes, right? So you also have to allow a property owner to build two houses on the same uh, plot of land, and that seems like a, a, a reasonable step. Um, you know, we've, we've seen states do things like um, try to require that planning and zoning board members get the appropriate training that they need so that they can actually follow the law um, to mandate that towns actually zone in such a way that they allow some, um, some sometimes it's called workforce housing to be built. So allow some apartments or some uh, starter homes to be built so that some of these essential workers can live in your community. So these are some approaches the state governments can take to try to make uh, some of these zoning restrictions less absurd at the state level. And maybe the most important one that really hasn't been explored fully outside the state of Arizona, which passed it by ballot initiative, is what's called a regulatory taking compensation law. And what that does is says if a local government wants to regulate your property so th such that it really reduces the economic value of your property, say more than 30%, then you have to compensate the property owner. Um, and so in Arizona, what's that, what that has done is it's made local governments really think about enacting new restrictions on home building. Because if you do that, you're going to have to compensate the property owner. So it sort of puts a price on it so that, yeah, I guess if your community really, really, really values freezing it in amber and keeping it exactly the way it is, well, you can do that. You're just going to have to pay a big price for it. Um, and, and so that's a kind of a disincentive to this kind of exclusionary zoning that we've seen uh, in large parts of the country. This is, this is a really unusual topic for people to be passionate about. It's the mm -hmm. first time I've ever heard someone say housing when I say, well, what are you, what are you interested in? What is it that, that gets you up in the morning and motivates you to be involved? Housing was not what I expected. And so I'm curious why this is such an important issue to you. Why, why yeah. housing? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a, there's a moral issue at stake, which is uh, private property rights and, and your ability to, if you buy a piece of land, you, you should own it. You should own the rights that come with that, including uh, building things, so long as you are not 
creating nuisances, like you're not polluting your neighbor's land, um, right? Uh, you should be allowed to provide housing for human beings. That isn't a, that is not a nuisance. Um, that is something that's beneficial to society. But what's more, there's huge economic benefits uh, to building more housing and huge costs to the policies we have in this country right now. Uh, a recent paper by a couple of Stanford University economists um, found that U.S. gross domestic product, the size of our economy, would be 30% higher in the absence of zoning and, and other residential building restrictions. So what we're doing is we're preventing workers from moving to the places where they can be most productive, where they can make the most use of their talents. They can't afford to go there, and so they don't. And so we, we're constraining economic development, and that's made our whole society poorer. And it goes back to Bastiat, what is seen, what is unseen. These are some of the unseen costs of, of these regulations that, I don't know, people don't think about. They don't, because they don't see them. Yeah, and it's hard to make that real for people that, yeah, we, we could be so much more prosperous than we are. Well, what does that mean concretely? Um, you know, it's hard to make that real for people, but uh, you, you, can, you can point to some examples of states that are doing it right, like Texas, and show that, you know, th this is how, if you want a dynamic economy, you want um, young people to, to stay in state and not move away, um, you need to uh, have a, a zoning regime that allows uh, people to build. Thanks again to Jason for taking the time to join the podcast. And if you have any questions about housing regulations or the Economic Opportunity Priority Initiative, or you know what, any of the other PIs we've ever talked about before, please send them to me at toppriority at afphq.org. I really look forward to reading them. And if you haven't taken the opportunity to leave a review for the podcast, please consider doing that now on whatever service you're listening to. Until next time, take care. And we'll see you then.